in all the scriptures we uh, use this morning. And we're going to start in the book of Job. So if you'll turn there to the book of Job, then we'll start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we appreciate again the opportunity we have to call on you and to allow you into our service. Holy Spirit, speak through the word of God and through what we say that you've given us to say. Lord, the, the people here might go home, better people having given heed to the two witnesses, the word and spirit of God. Just direct us in a mighty way and allow the word to have freedom to flow into the hearts and minds of your people. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. In Job, the first chapter, how many of you have ever read the book of Job? The whole book. You read the whole book? How many? Raise your hand if you have. Twice? Once? You've had, okay, that way if you say you have read it, then I don't have to read it to you this morning. And that will save us a little bit of time. But I want to speak this morning, and I'm going to start in verse 1 and we'll come down through a couple of the chapters here and see what was going on in this book. Now, most of you that have already read it probably have your mind made up on where we're going or what we're going to do, but allow God to speak to us this morning. And, and I just want to read verse 1 to start it. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Well, it's the theologians that, if you would, give us a lot of what we study from and when we do deep theological studies on different subjects of the scripture, even the theologians cannot seemingly put their finger on who the writer of this particular book called Job is. Whether Job himself quoted this for somebody, an underling under him, he had many servants around him, he was very rich fella, uh, he had been blessed mightily by God. Now, I don't know who did it, um, but uh, as we read this book, it seems like whoever wrote it was kind of like a bystander that witnessed all of this and decided to write it down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's the way I think of it anyway. And he was impressed by the life that Job was putting forth, if you would, in his community, with his family, with his servants. Everyone around seemed to respect Job very highly. Amen. So when we see someone like that, and the first verse calls him a perfect and upright a man and one that fears God. Now, fears God doesn't mean you shake in your boots every time God comes around. It's not like he was scared of God. The word fear means he had a reverential awe or respect for God. And then he uh, eschewed evil. Now, we're going to get into the eschewed evil here just a little bit. But I just want to set the stage for us, if you would. So here we are, uh, and this man goes through... A lot of experience here, especially in the first couple of the chapters of this book, as to what uh, God, if you would, allowed Satan to do uh, to him, against him, uh, hurt him, whatever. But it was to, to, if you would, prove that Job was the real thing. He was the real deal. People looked up to Job, and he did not disappoint them. Amen. So yet today... For each of us, when we read the book of Job, 
we find Job was smack dab right in the middle of some battles that were going on that he had no idea about. And yet you and I today, tomorrow, and if God leaves us next week or next year, going to be right smack dab in the middle of a lot of things going on around us that we're going to need God's direction to get through. Amen? So here we go. And I've often said that it's like God is on one shoulder speaking to us in one ear. The devil's on the other shoulder speaking to us in the other ear. And whichever one you listen to, um, that's the one that you're going to follow and do the things he asks us to do. So we need to be careful who we listen to in the situations of life. Amen? Your life is a series of choices. That's what your life boils down to. People could say, well, he's super smart or he's super rich or he's super anything, basically because of the choices in life that he's made. This battle for you and I is for your soul in eternity. Amen? The choices you make determine which team you're going to play for while you're here on earth. And eventually, it's going to determine where your final destination is in eternity. You want to be on God's team or you want to be on Satan's team? The reality is the one you choose to play for, that's whose team you're on. All right, so here we find in uh, Job 1.1, we're introduced to this man, and he's definitely a God's team player. Amen? Of course, we see four things that are described or given as a description of him. Number one, he was perfect. Now, perfect doesn't mean he, he never made a mistake or he never stubbed his toe or he never went to the left when he should have went to the right. And, and It doesn't mean perfect like you and I would think perfect, but it, it means that he should have been following as close to God as he can get. Amen? How many of you think you're following God perfectly today? Sure. All right. Now, how many of you have been following God perfectly for 10 years? Yeah, but now, are you closer to God today than you were 10 years ago? Yeah, because perfect, if you would, there is no such thing as perfecter or perfectest or more perfect or most perfect. You know, when you're perfect, you're perfect. Amen. There's no adding to that, if you would. So when we get to the place where we think we're perfect with God, it just means the road map between you and God's clear. There's nothing between us. That's the perfect that we're speaking of here. Does God show you more things as time goes on? You better say, I reckon, because I'm a whole lot smarter in the things of God now than I was 46 years ago when I got saved. Amen? So we get that term and, and we get stumbling over it because of what, how our English language uses it in the 21st century. The second thing we find was he was upright. Now that just doesn't mean he had good balance and could walk without stumbling. You know, he was an upright man. In other words, others could look up to him in the way he conducted his life. He was a man that was above board. Um, it's a, uh, a term that we would use to say somebody is on track in what he's doing. Everybody would look to him as a good example. 
That's what upright means. And then the third thing that we find there is that uh, he uh, feared God. Again, we've already spoke on that. That means he reverenced God and wanted everything in his life to be in line with God's will. Do what God wanted him to have to do. And of course, the number four thing is he eschewed evil. All right, Mike told me he looked up eschewed in the Webster. I looked it up in the Strong's. And it means to set aside or to stay away from or have no part in it. I don't know what he came up with. There you go. Avoid. Avoid evil. That's good. And stay away from. Have no part with it. That's what eschewed means. Now, how many of you used that word last week when you were talking to somebody? Yeah. No, not a one of us probably thought to eschew anything. Uh, if we did, it was because we couldn't find the left shoe when we was looking for the right one. All right. So here we have a man that eschews evil or has no part in it. He wants nothing to do with evil. Hey, that sounds like a good plan to me. Amen. Every time I get close to evil, my skin starts to roll up. The hair on the back of my neck starts to stand up. I want to get away from it as fast as I can. Amen. So whatever you think about Job at this point, it's immaterial. But let's drop down to verse number 6 and read through verse number 10. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth. And again, he repeats what he said in verse 1 through the Holy Spirit. A perfect and upright man and one that fears God and escheweth evil. Same thing we read in verse number 1. That's verse 9, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he uh, hath on every side? Hast thou, hast, thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold. That's kind of like listen, isn't it? Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon him, on as him himself, put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now what do you think just took place there in that conversation? Amen? Let's think about that just a little bit. Amen? So here we have Job doing, if you would, his everyday chores, I think totally unaware that uh, he was the center of a gossip column between God and Satan. They were talking about him. Now, we don't mind somebody gossiping about us when they say we're perfect, upright, Fear God and eschew evil. Man, talk about me all day behind my back if you're going to say that. 
Amen? But most of the time, that's not what gossip's about. And Satan tried to step in and say, let me tell you the truth of the matter here, God. I don't think you got a good picture of this guy. Because if you take away the hedge around him and you let me at him, so to speak, he'll curse you to your face. Hmm. Wow. Well, the challenge was on. Amen? So here we go. So we'll look a little bit closer at this meeting. And here it seems to be time when God's people are coming together to present themselves before the Lord, the scripture says in verse 6. It wasn't very long ago I preached about Cain. Remember that message? Cain killed his brother Abel. Did you know that? Out of Genesis, the fourth chapter, I preached that. And it seems that every time God's people want to show up and do something for God, why did Cain and Abel come together anyway? They both came to give a sacrifice to God. God accepted Abel's, but he rejected Cain's. Amen? Well, it seems like every time the people of God get together to do something for God, guess who shows up? Uh-huh. The same devil that talked to Cain, the same devil that's showing up now, wants to talk to Job, the same devil, if you would, that shows up every time Satan, uh, or every time we try to do something good for God. So here we are this morning. We all came to the church, if you would, to present ourselves unto the Lord. Amen? Amen. Yep, guess what? Satan showed up too. He never misses an opportunity to try to get between God and God's people. Amen? So here we are. If you look at the attendance sheet, you won't see his number show up on there, but he's here. Amen. You can count heads. Add one more because Satan's here too. Amen? So when we get to those places, we need to be careful about when we come to the Lord. See, it's one thing for the devil to show up on his own. It's something else if you're the one that brought him to church. So we got to be careful about that. Amen. Now, look at the last line that we talk about here in verse number 6 about them coming to present themselves to God. And Satan was among them also. There you go. Well, that was true in Genesis, the fourth chapter with Cain. That was true in, here in the first chapter of Job. That was true in the fourth chapter of Matthew when Jesus started his earthly ministry and was in temptation in the wilderness. And that's true when the entire Jewish nation came to Jerusalem for the Passover and the result was they crucified our Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what? It's still true today. When God's people come together to meet, Satan wants to get right in the middle of it. Amen. Verse 7, it says, The Lord said unto Satan. All right. God opens the conversation. He looks at Satan and said, What's up, man? Well, that's not the word. That's the dude version. Amen. So Satan casually answers, Ah, eh, not much. Just hanging out. Going to and fro walking around, just checking out the situation, just doing some exercise in my legs and getting in the, you know, that's what we do, right? Just want to get out, 
walk around, make sure everything's cool. Amen. And notice where he said this takes place when, when Satan spoke to him. He says, I'm going to and fro in the earth. Mark that down in your mind, what that earth means. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. First of all, the earth is the only domain that Satan has before eternity. He wants to walk around in the earth, and of course, that's where he's going to live until eternity. And we have a special place for him, or God does, uh, when eternity uh, comes about to put it all in gear. Second of all, when we were created by God, what did he make us out of? Dust, earth, dirt. You know, that's why I say we're all dirt bags. Amen. Get used to it. That's what we came from. Amen. But Satan wants to rule over you and me because he thinks he's smarter than God. Now, God made us so God knows how to take care of us, and he could care less about uh, the dirt that we came from or this planet Earth itself. The devil doesn't run around tempting the dirt we walk on. He tempts the dirt we're made of. In other words, us. He wants to grab us. He's fully aware that this earth is going to be burned up someday. When Jesus returns, this earth is it's history. It's going to be ashes, if that. I think the fire is going to be so hot that even the ashes are going to burn up. Amen. It says every element's going to be burned up. You know what, did you know that fire's an element? When Jesus comes again, even fire is going to be burned up. That's pretty cool, isn't it? He's going to do a complete job. Let me say this as clear as I can. Satan wants you. And he doesn't want it, you to do anything for God while you're on your two legs on this earth. Amen? So in verse 8, And the Lord said to Satan, Hmm. Have you considered my servant Job? You see, it's one thing to be uh, my friend or my neighbor, but he called Job my servant because he was serving him day and night. Again, then he repeats in verse 8 the four things we talked about in verse 1. He's perfect, he's upright, he fears God, and eschews evil. Amen? So... I want you to know that the word eschew only appears in the Bible four times. See? So we've already read two of them. So you're on almost halfway home in the message. How about that? We ought to get out of here early then, shouldn't we? But I think there's a little more to it. Let's see. So when we read this, we notice that God never answers his question, uh, or Satan never answers the question that God asked, about his servant Job. He says, have you considered my servant Job? He never answers that question. Hmm, wonder why. God knows he's considered him. Matter of fact, that's why he came when those people came to present themselves for the Lord to get a hold of somebody like Job. Can I tell you something? Satan wants to climb the ladder as high as he can to pull down, if you would, the most perfect, the most upright, the most 
fear of God person and the one that eschews he, he wants to tear those people down if you would more so than those fringe people that even have don't really have a connection with God in their life in a real solid way so if you think of yourself as a strong Christian guess who's after you he's probably after you more than he is those that are down at the honky-tonks and the bars this morning having a nice cold one amen he's already he's not worried about them he knows he can get them anytime he wants. He wants to get the perfect ones, the upright ones. Amen? That's what Satan's after. Okay, then in verse uh, number 9, it seems as though Satan changes the subject on God. Yeah. Satan answered, and he says, uh, uh, Job just fears you because of who you are. He, is, he, ain't, he ain't nothing to it. It's, it's for not. You know, he doesn't really care about you. He just serves you. Yeah, because you're there, I guess, maybe is the one to say it, if you want to say it that way. But uh, he wants to put God on the defensive in this conversation. You ever have somebody that you were trying to make a point and they turn the tables on you and change the subject altogether and try to get you off track because they know you're right? And they don't want to admit you got something. They don't. Huh. If you've never been in that situation, take a trip to Washington, D.C. You'll find a lot of people that want to take those positions. Amen. And so we'll find out that a lot of people want to just change the subject when there's something that needs to be dealt with in a certain way. Amen. So when he says that Job was only serving you because all the things you've blessed him with, that's all Job's following you for. But if I had a chance to get those things away from Job, I think he'd curse you right to your face. Well, and not only that, you build a hedge around him. Second, you build a hedge around his house. Third, you build a hedge around everything he's got. Now, what was a hedge in this day and time? What was a hedge even put up for? Well, if you had a vineyard, the first thing you before you planted your vines, you build a hedge around it. You know why? For protection. Amen. That kept the varmints out that want to eat at the vines. Uh, uh, Solomon said it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. So you build a hedge first. It defines your boundaries. Amen. We all have to have boundaries even when it comes to God, even when it comes to Satan. We have boundaries where we need to keep everything clear about what we're doing. And here are these hedges that uh, he put around uh, Job was for those same region. Uh, it seems like an awful lot of hedge that he's got there. I don't know about you guys, but I've got four hedge bushes in my yard. I have to trim them rascals just about once a month all summer long. And I do a lousy job every time I do it. I can never get them straight. I can never get them looking nice. And sometimes I even cut too deep and, and there's a bare spot in the head and it just takes forever for it to grow. I just don't care for them, but yeah, they're there, so I tolerate them. Now, after three or four weeks of me chomping them up, they kind of grow back and fill in and then they need trimmed again. Amen? Well, the hedge that God puts around you, you don't need to trim it. It's a spiritual hedge. Amen? It's not a heartache it's not a problem amen uh, I'd like to have some hedge that are uh, already trimmed and then uh, we don't need to trim them again and again but guess what 
Even if God thinks you're perfect and upright today, tomorrow your hedge is going to need to be trimmed, if you would. We call that sanctification. There's a work that you have to do to get closer to God tomorrow than you are today. Not only is Job being hedged, that's his defense from the world and vandals as well as a sign to Satan, you're in the wrong property. Amen. In Job's day, a hedge around your property would say, be the same as we today would put up a sign that says no trespassing. Amen? So in that case, especially if we're talking about Satan, when, we, when God puts his heads around him, that's to Satan saying, leave him alone. He's mine. Amen? But Satan is so upset with all the blessings that God has given Job for the work of his hands, both physically and spiritually, which has increased his substance, the scripture says, in the land that we need to see what God would built that hedge around. Now notice he said that you, he did that in the verse 10, the last two words is, in the land. What's the land? What's the difference between the land and the earth? Well, we're going to find out just a little bit here. Notice that Satan called it the land and not the earth. The land is physical prosperity. That's what you own. That's yours. Amen? Some of us in here today have a clear deed to land. I do. It's called a grave plot. Amen? It's only about this wide and about as long as I am. Amen? I got a clear deed to my land. Amen? Now, does that make me any more spiritual? Not really. Amen. It wasn't even uh, an idea that I came up with. It was just a good insurance policy 30 or 40 years ago, and Bonnie and I took advantage of it. But here we have things about us that when he talks about talking to us, sometimes in the Bible he uses the term referring to us as earth. You know, we have this treasure in an earthen vessel, the Scripture tells us. What's he talking about? This is the earthen vessel that the Spirit of God can live in, our body. Our body is considered earth. But land is a possession that you can have in this side of eternity. Amen. So there's going to come a time when I'm going to have to try to keep up with the Joneses. I'm going to have to buy more land, ain't I? Amen. It's like the, the farmer that... Uh, bought more land, to plant more corn, to feed more pigs, to sell, to buy more land, to feed more pigs, to grow corn, and on and on and on and on, all right? We get into those turmoils trying to keep up with the Joneses. And besides that, when we leave this land physically, others are going to have to deal with and divide up all the junk we left behind. We thought it was valuable. We thought of it as blessings, amen? I got so much blessings in my closet, I can't find a shirt when I need it. Amen. All those blessings, in one of these days, everybody's going to pull up a dumpster and either fill it or take it home and put it somewhere else. Maybe somebody will get some use out of it. But in this earth, we can accumulate a lot of stuff that we think are blessings. Amen. Yeah, I call it hoarding. Amen. But, but your body belongs to God. That's your earth. And he'll determine 
your final destiny for the earth that you've got and how you used it while you was on the land that you tramped upon in this lifetime. Now look at verse 11. It starts with the word but. Now what does that mean? It means on the other hand. Amen? Let me, let me give you the dude version of this one. It says, if you take away all that he has of the land, he'll turn his back on you. That's what the devil said Job would do. That God had a different idea. Verse 12, God says, I don't think so. But let's see. And God gives Satan power to take all Job has, and he can't do anything to Job himself. Even when God, if you would, allows temptations to come your way, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, even when he allows all those temptations, they have boundaries to them. Because uh, that same chapter says, as he allows those temptations to come, he sets limit. Amen? There's no temptation taking you, but what he'll not make a way of escape for you. Amen? So God is still in control, even when he allows Satan to step on your toes from time to time. Amen? That's, again, part of the growing process. If you never had anything go wrong in your life and everything was peaches and cream throughout, you'd never know the growth that God has for you. So here when Satan accepts this challenge, he departs from the presence of God, he thinks. You never get out of God's presence. Amen? Did you know that God is omniscient? That God is omnipresent? God knows everything. God sees everything. God's everywhere. You can't get away from God. Yet Satan tried to, if you would, get on the track where uh, Job was so God couldn't find him. Now we know the rest of this story. Job had a lot of camels, a lot of sheep, a lot of everything, a lot of children, a lot of barns, a lot of buildings, a lot of everything. And uh, we know that basically all Job uh, got uh, after Satan got done with him with one stroke uh, of his situation they're all taken his servants are gone basically all Job had left when Satan was attacked uh, attacked him in his land was his wife and that's another story in itself amen now how did Job fare in this destruction well we're going to find out Turn over to chapter 2 of Job, verse 1. Same thing. Here we go again. Same song, second verse. Could be better, but it's going to be worse. Amen. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Huh, wonder why he came back for a second helping well, he must not have been successful the first time that God turned him loose, if you would. So here we go. God, at this point, knows Job is still standing for God. He's still on track with him. Amen. So drop down to verse number 4. Of course, verse 3 says, again, he was perfect, upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. Amen. And he's holding fast to his integrity. Verse 4 says, And Satan answered the Lord this time, skin for skin. Amen. We're getting pretty close now. He took all of his physical stuff away from him. And now he wants to get to his body. Amen. 
Have you ever seen somebody in so much agony, in so much pain that they start questioning God? Yeah, that happens. Amen. You know why? Because they don't want to be in pain. And here we've got a man that is basically a living right for God, and Satan challenges God this time, saying, let me add his body. Let me make him really sick. Let me put it on him really tight and see if he doesn't turn and curse you right to your face. Well, God's up for the challenge again. Amen? So uh, in verse 5, he said he'd curse him to his face. And in verse 6, again, God gives him permission to proceed, but this time he sets the limit of you just can't kill him. Basically, you can do anything you want. Amen? So Job had boils put on him from Satan. You ever had a boil? How many of you ever, any of you here never had a boil? Okay, boils, uh, they have a core to them, and it gets really, really deep down in the skin, and they hurt. Amen? They itch. But the, the worst thing you can do is scratch. But you know us men, anything that itches, we'll scratch it. Right? It's just the way we are. Amen. But it don't do us any good. Amen. Here Job had boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And all he wanted to do is sit down and take a piece of clay out of a broken pot, just a, something that he could scrape those boils or scratch or itch, whatever you want to say, to try to find some relief. And actually, scratching makes it worse. It may feel better at the time while your fingernails is, is tearing up and down through there, but when you quit rubbing up and down, you get the pain even worse. Well, he knew he was in trouble, but in all of this, God or Job never turned his back on God. Of course, in verse 9, that's where Job's wife speaks up and said, Don't be such a fool. Uh, you know, why don't you just curse God and die? Well, I've met some wives like that. Never mind. But anyway, God says here on this uh, situation, uh, in verse 11, in the last line of that verse says, In all this did not Job sin with his lips. He never gave God one curse word over what he was going through. Now, here it is. Satan said in two different cases, if you let me at Job, he'll curse you, God, right to your face. And guess what? God allowed him to have both of those scenarios applied to Job. And Job never had a bad word for God. Amen? After all, uh, he went through even though Job was not aware that Satan and God was having this challenge or this connection, if you would, these two times, Job still sinned not with his lips. That means he never cursed God or never even blamed God for the misfortune or the tragedy in his life, but he still stood where God wanted him to be, no matter what came or what went or who provoked, if you would, the situation that he was in. Well, for me to read this narrative and actually even feel sorry for Job is something that would be easy to do. Because all Satan wanted to do 
is prove himself before God. And man, if I can just get Job to say one bad thing about God. Amen. I don't know about you. There's been times when I thought, God, come on. This is a little bit much. Amen. I've been through a lot of struggles in my 46 years with God. And sometimes they were pretty tough. And I just wondered, I wonder if that, it dawned on me a couple of times. I wonder if God and, and Satan sitting in the background over there, uh, sitting across from a chessboard saying, it's my move. Let's move in dude's life here or move there and see if he's still going to be upright and if he's still going to be eschewing the evil that comes to him. Amen. Today's no different. Satan is still today trying to outsmart God. He hasn't given up on that territory. He's still working on it. The only difference is you and I are in the crosshairs now rather than a man named Job. Amen? We are the target that he wants to battle over for our souls and our eternal destination. Amen? The only way we'll survive Satan's attack is to be perfect, upright, fear God, and eschew evil. Amen? All right. So, how do we eschew evil? Turn with me to 1 Peter. This is the other time. That's the three times we've heard about eschewing evil. 1 Peter, the third chapter. I'm going to read verse 8 through 12. This is Peter talking to the people that he's, um, uh, whoever you want to say he's talking to, the Christians of his day and time in the first century. He says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, have compassion one to another, love as brethren, be pitiful. That word pitiful doesn't mean poor me. It means sympathetic. Amen? And be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil. You know, there are people that just when something goes bad with them, they want something to happen bad to somebody else. Amen? Or if they thought you were the cause of why they were, they want to take it out on you. Amen? There are people I've met that go by the saying, I don't get mad, I get even. Well, that's not the way God wants us to operate. He says, don't render evil for evil or railing for railing. But contrawise, on the other hand, blessing, knowing that we are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil. We know what it means now. And do good and let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Here's what Peter's trying to get us to understand. Amen? One, in verse number eight, we've got to have compassion. Amen? The best way to get along with somebody else in this world is have compassion on them. Amen? Love them. He says, love the brethren. Hey, he says, love as brethren, but that means love one another. Get along with one another. Number two, again, we talk about sympathy. He calls it pitiful, but it means sympathy and be uh, um, 
courteous one to another. In other words, use your manners. Amen. All of these things that Peter says we should be practicing fall under the umbrella of what we would call the golden rule. You should do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Amen. We learned that in vacation Bible school 30 years ago, right? And we're still teaching it because it's still true. Amen. So in verse 9, he says not to do evil for evil. That don't get anybody anywhere. Amen. If all you can do is get even, you haven't gained any ground. No railing for railing. Just because they said something about you or you took it that they were saying something about you doesn't give you the right to say something bad about them. Amen. All right. What we need to do is stay out of the shouting matches. You ever been in a shouting match? I've seen people in shouting matches and all they want to do is yell the other one down. I see it all the time on television. They're arguing over something and while they're both yelling at the top of their lungs, neither one of them can hear the other one and we as the listeners can't hear what either one of them saying. So let's stay out of the shouting matches where nobody wins. But on the other hand, he says blessings. Amen. How do you get blessings? Do you do it by yelling and screaming and trying to get your own way? Usually not. Blessings come when you do something good for someone else. Amen. Jesus taught us to pray for our enemies. Amen. How many of you got an enemy? I at least got one, I know. Satan's one of your enemies. Amen. And some of us have people that work with us that actually want to climb the ladder faster than us. So they take on, if you would, the role of being our enemy in hopes the boss will notice that they need to step up and get more pay than you. Amen. Some of us, when on our jobs, got our raises faster than other people and didn't even expect it. We just did what was right and did what we should have been doing all along. Guess what? The boss notices. You do a good job. They take note of that. Amen. And if all you're doing is slamming the guy beside you, they take note of that. They're not dummies. They wouldn't be your boss if they were dummies. Amen. So we need to pray for our enemies. He says to do good to them that persecute you. Do all of that because those are the things we need to do to be prosperous in our walk with God. Amen. So he said if all you do is bless others that bless you, you haven't gained any ground. Amen. Do good for people that you know need a hand lifted up or help. Amen. Why should we do that? Verse 10 says for, what's verse 10, uh, what does that mean for, what does that mean? It means because to see the good in others and love life and do good days uh, and refrain from speaking evil, you need to do that because it's the right thing to do. That's why. No other reason. Amen. You don't do it so your neighbor can get more than you got. You don't do it so that you get more than your neighbor. You do it because it's the right thing to do. Amen. Amen. Notice verse number 11. That's where the issue evil comes in. He says, let him eschew evil and do good. When you get the choice between doing something evil or doing something good, it should be as a Christian, pretty much automatic, that you turn your back on the evil and walk towards the good. Amen. That's the only way you're going to be able to help others and walk in the love as brothers and sisters in Christ. And to do good and seek peace and go after it is to pursue God 
with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's one of the things the scripture says we should do. Peter says the results of a life of God will be in verse number 12. For or because the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. Isn't that something? What is righteous? Those that are doing what's right. Amen. It's not, it's not rocket scientists. You don't have to be a Philadelphia lawyer to understand that. God looks at the people that do things that are right. Amen. That's the righteous God likes to see when he looks down at this earth. And it says, and his ears are open to their prayers. I've heard of many of people say, I'm praying and it's like God doesn't hear me. It's just falling on deaf ears. Well, if you're doing it right, if you're upright, if you're perfect, if you're eschewing evil, amen, if you're doing the things Job was doing, the Word of God says his ears are open to your cry. He listens to everything you say. He hears us anyway. I even think God hears the prayer of sinners. I know there's a scripture in there that, that says God's uh, ears uh, um, don't really hear the prayers of sinners, but that just means he's not going to give attention to them. It's not that he didn't hear us. Just didn't pay attention. I know all of you husbands understand that. You heard your wife in the other room and you act like you didn't hear. Amen. And then when she comes in and jumps all over you, you say, well, it was the TV was on. And, you know, that's when I say, honey, I'm deaf in my right ear and you was on my right side. Hey, I can use that one. Yeah. Amen. Or a lot of times she's out there and she's working in the kitchen and I'll say, she'll say something. I really don't hear, but I did want to hear I said, why are you telling the sink? Tell me. Quit talking to the sink and tell me. You know, we got to get on the same level there when we want to make a connection. But God even hears sinner's prayer, but there's no biblical reason for him, if you would, to yield to those prayers the same way he would as to a righteous man's prayers. Amen? So we need to learn some things from the lesson we've learned from Job. Because the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And personally, I never want to turn his back on me. I want to walk where he wants me to go. But if I pursue evil, God doesn't have any choice. He has to turn away. He can't be following you or helping you in the choices of evil that you choose. So let's learn this little advice, if you would, from Job and take Peter's advice along this, let's eschew evil. Stay away from it. Turn your back on it. Don't let it grow roots in your garden. Amen? Get rid of it. Stay as far away from it as you can get. And don't forget, God's watching, and Satan is trying to get between you and God and he wants to, if you would, have an impact in whether you end up in heaven or hell eternity. Amen? In the balance, we got to stand and walk where God wants us to go. In your choices of life, choose wisely. Amen? And then God can listen to your prayers. God can meet with you, if you would, face to face. God can talk to you in that still small voice. Allow the Word of God and Spirit of God to guide you everywhere you should go, and everything will work out if you just 
allow the Holy Spirit and His Word to keep you in the will of God. And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it.